0: The Supreme Court is important for the fracking regulations. It's absolutely critical, important for the regulation of carbon and for the adoption of the Paris Accords. This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. To support the work we do
1: and get members-only bonus content, please visit the Contribute tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The David Packman Show, The Tom Hartman Program, Democracy Now!, The Majority Report, and The Young Turks.
2: Donald Trump has selected one of the best-known climate change deniers to lead his Environmental Protection Agency, transition team according to two sources close to the Trump campaign this guy's name is Myron Ebel. he is director of the Center for Energy and Environment at the very conservative competitive Enterprise Institute he is going to be managing Trump's transition plan for the EPA he is a well-known and very polarizing figure within both the energy world and the environment world he's known for writing about uh, alarmism as he calls what climate change science is. He frequently appears in media. He frequently appears in front of Congress. He's chairman of the cooler heads coalition. Imagine that, uh, quite a name, a group of nonprofits that question alarmism around climate science. If you think climate change is a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese as Donald Trump has said uh, on at minimum one occasion, it does sort of follow that you would select someone from the 0.3% rather than the 99.7% on the issue of climate change. This is like choosing someone from the tiny percentage of people who question evolution to head up the, I don't know, evolution committee, if there were one, to make an analogy. This is not making huge headlines, but it really confirms that a Donald Trump presidency would actually be as terrible as we fear. There's this idea among some that we don't really need to worry about a Trump presidency because some of the stuff he's not going to be able to do and in the end the president can't really do that much putting an out and out climate science denier to transition the EPA is a disaster. Trump would be able as I've mentioned to select supreme court justices in all likelihood. This is an absolute disaster. And if you select a climate science denier to transition the EPA, you should be able to put aside anything else that Trump has said or claimed he will do and realize that this decision alone should uniquely and singularly disqualify Donald Trump from being the president of the United States. But it is barely even making headlines. And this is like, I I, I mean, I'm trying to think of an analogy. Would we put someone to head up NASA? that denies that the sun is the center of our solar system. I hope not. I really hope that we wouldn't. And that's the equivalent that we're talking about here by selecting Myron Ebel to transition the EPA. The damage that Trump could cause in four years would be incomprehensibly far reaching. And this is just one piece of evidence that suggests that.
3: I think Amy Nineto wrote, you know, just this brilliant piece. It's it's, uh, it's over at uh, Democratic Underground right now. Um, I think this is a a repost of a tweet, but I could be wrong. Uh, Or maybe from a Facebook page. It says a protest vote for Jill Stein will not save 11 million undocumented immigrants from getting deported. A protest vote for Jill Stein will not preserve a woman's right to choose what she does with her body. A protest vote for Jill Stein will not keep three more Scalia's from sitting on the Supreme Court for the next 20 to 30 years, the next generation. Let that sink in. I'm not much of a fan of Hillary either, but Trump is a national emergency. Sometimes you don't get to choose who you get in the lifeboat with. You just want someone who can row. Well, I I think as, you know, as the evening unfolds, and I'm looking forward to tonight, I think, you know, we're all going to find that Trump, Hillary Clinton. I mean, what most people know about Hillary Clinton, and frankly, I think that this is true of most Democrats too, has come to us. Excuse me, via right wing memes, via Drudge Report, via the Republican Party, via you know uh, uh, people like Dinesh D'Souza with these, and 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 Jerome Corsi, who also wrote Swift Vote Veterans for Truth. This, the these evil narratives that are put together by the Republican Party. And Republicans, and and by the way, it's not just the next three Supreme Court justices; it's the next four, because the Republicans are preventing President Obama from replacing Justice Scalia. And you know, in 1971, since 1971, this is this is a piece that um, is published over at Alternet. It was uh, written by. It doesn't say the name of who wrote it here. Okay, so anyhow, it's a piece of published over at Alternate. The title is, The Next President Will Likely Appoint Four Supreme Court Justices. Which president do you want? Picking them. And whoever wrote this says, Since 1971, the average age of retirement for a Supreme Court justice has been just under 79 years old. Ginsburg is 83. Kennedy is 80. Breyer will be 78 next month. So those three people... Ginsburg will be 87 years old in four years. Kennedy will be 84 years old, Breyer will be 82 years old, and the average age of retirement for the Supreme Court is just a little under 79 years old. So at all probability, the next president is going to pick four Supreme Court justices. This is like one of those very, very consequential turns. Essentially, Ronald Reagan did the same thing during the eight years he was in office. I believe he picked four justices. And do you want Donald Trump picking those people? I mean, in the and, and and frankly, I actually I trust Hillary Clinton to pick good progressives for the Supreme Court. There's an enormous amount of public pressure, and I you know I really I, I think that deep down inside there's there's a, a, a lot, I think she's the more progressive of the couple, frankly. But anyhow, in this article, whoever wrote it points out, in the last decade, the justices have made it much harder to challenge wealth and power, to nurture the weak and assist the poor, to extend social justice to minorities, to reduce violence, to stop discrimination, to defend the right to vote. They overturned a a corporate campaign spending ban. This is the Tillman Act put in place by Teddy Roosevelt in 1909. In 2008, they overturned 150 years of laws and policies that had steadily expanded who can vote in this country, when they upheld an Indiana law, Mike Pence, requiring a photo ID. I don't know that Mike Pence was the governor when that was passed, but, you know, it's his state. Uh, He represented the state. The state had offered no examples of voter fraud that would have been prevented with voter ID, and still the Supreme Court said, oh yeah, voter ID, that's fine with us. And since that decision, 23 states now have gone into full tilt-boogie voter suppression mode. They struck down the Voting Rights Act of 1965 in 2013 by a five-to-four decision. They overturned a California law prohibiting arbitration clauses, the bland, the ban class action suits.
4: This year may be only half over, but 2016 is already on track to be the hottest year ever on record. In the midst of this, during the first presidential debate on Monday, Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump and his Democratic rival Hillary Clinton sparred briefly over climate change.
5: Take clean energy. Some country is going to be the clean energy superpower of the 21st century. Donald thinks that climate change is a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese. I think it's real. Uh, I did not. Science is real. I do not say that. And I think it's important that. that we grip this and deal with it, both at home and abroad.
4: Clinton was referring to a tweet Trump sent in 2012, in which he wrote, quote, the concept of global warming was created by and for the Chinese in order to make U.S. manufacturing noncompetitive. Trump later said he meant it as a joke, yet he has continued to suggest climate change is some sort of hoax. His comments were highlighted this week in a new TV ad produced by the Sierra Club.
6: All of this with the global warming and the, that and a lot of it's a hoax. It's a hoax. I mean, it's a money-making industry, okay? They said that you called climate change a hoax. Is that true?
7: Well, I might have.
6: I believe that climate change is not man-made. We're going to cancel the Paris Climate Agreement. Our president is worried about global warming. What a ridiculous situation.
4: That's right. Donald Trump has said that if he is elected, he will weaken the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, abolish President Obama's Clean Power Plan, promote fossil fuel exploration, recruit oil and gas executives to lead his cabinet. Well, our next guest writes in The New Republic about, quote, a world at war. We are under attack from climate change, and our only hope is to mobilize like we did in World War II quote, day after day, week after week, saboteurs behind our lines are unleashing a series of brilliant and overwhelming attacks. In the past few months alone, our foes have used a firestorm to force the total evacuation of a city of 90,000 in Canada, drought to ravage crops to the point where Southern Africans are literally eating their seed corn, and floods to threaten the priceless repository of art in the Louvre.
5: Our guest goes on to write, "'The enemy is even deploying biological weapons to spread psychological terror.'" The Zika virus, loaded like a bomb into a growing army of mosquitoes, has shrunk the heads of newborn babies across an entire continent. Panicked health ministers in seven countries are now urging women not to get pregnant. And as in all conflicts, millions of refugees are fleeing the horrors of war, their numbers swelling daily as they're forced to abandon their homes to escape famine and desolation and disease. World War III is well and truly underway, and we are losing. Those are the words of Bill McKibben, who joins us today in our New York studio, co-founder of 350.org, author of a number of books, including Earth, Making a Life on a Tough New Planet. His other new piece, In the New Republic, is headlined Recalculating the Climate Math. Bill, welcome back to Democracy Now!
8: Well, it's good to be here.
5: So, uh, you just heard the clip from the first presidential debate. Um, you are uh, certainly— a- a- escalating the discussion about where climate change needs to fit into this. Uh, Talk about what the candidates have said and what you think actually needs to happen.
8: Well, the context is uh, July and August were the two hottest months we've ever measured on this planet. And in fact, the scientists who look at the proxy records from before we had thermometers tell us that July and August were probably the two hottest months in the history of human civilization. Against that backdrop, to see a buffoon like Trump, uh, you know, playing games with climate change is sobering. But it's also sobering to realize that, you know, none of our political leaders have said what we need to do on the scale we need to do it. If we're going to have a chance of dealing with climate change, it means mobilizing in ways that we haven't in a very long time. And one of the points of writing this first piece for the New Republic this this year was to demonstrate that at least that was possible. If you go look at how America mobilized during World War II, the industrial might that we brought to bear, and then you do the calculations, It's at the outside edge of possible that we could, in the short time that we have, build enough solar panels and wind turbines, but it's going to take the same kind of focused effort.
4: But your use of the analogy of of war for a country that uh, is involved in war at the drop of a hat—war on terrorism, war on poverty, war on, on drugs—and oh, yes. you know, and and not to mention all the all the
8: shooting wars all the as well—the actual well, wars—your yeah. wars. uh, your decision to use that that analogy. So the the point in this case was that I mean the war on drugs is a completely phony idea, right? It's just uh, a way of justifying all sorts of bad ideas. Uh, in this case, it's not that we need to go to war with climate change, it's that we're under siege. I mean, by all the measures by which one thinks about warfare, we're in one. We're losing territory all the time. I mean, there are literally islands disappearing. Uh, you know, We've lost huge swaths of the coral in the world this year alone. A wave of warm water swept across the Pacific and in the Indian Ocean. In many places, 80, 90 percent of coral died in a matter of weeks. These atolls that have been there forever in the Arctic. You know, ice that's been there for millennia upon millennia, is now gone. I mean, the world looks entirely different from a satellite now than it did 30 years ago. So the question is not whether or not we're in a conflict. The question is whether or not we're going to fight it or whether we're going to keep listening to the exons of the world and do nothing.
5: So in this piece you do, recalculating the climate math, the numbers on global warming are even scarier than we thought. What shocked you most? Go through those so numbers.
8: This, this comes from a remarkable report from a group called Oil Change International in New York. And you'll remember that a few years ago, we talked about the sort of new climate math that launched the fossil fuel divestment movement. At that time, what we understood was that the world's fossil fuel industry had far more carb far much, far too much carbon in its reserves, five times as much as we could afford to burn. What this new study indicates, and it's important to kind of get this, is that the coal mines and oil and gas fields that we already have in production have enough carbon in them to take us past the two-degree mark that the UN has set as the line for catastrophe. That is, we there's nothing about the future anymore we literally can't build anything else and stay within those limits. No Dakota pipeline, no new coal mines in Australia, none of the things that our political leaders, I mean, Justin Trudeau in Canada two days ago, uh, green-lighted a massive LNG project on the British Columbia coast. In the light of this new climate data, It's completely clear that these things we just can't do. We can drain most of what's in the fields that we've already got in production. But as that dwindles, we have to be replacing it day by day with renewable energy instead. Mm -hmm.
4: And how do you feel in terms of the uh, the amount of time devoted to the issue of climate change in, in all of the, the debates pr- uh, previously among the Democrats and Republicans, and now in the first actual presidential
8: debate? The, in the course of the whole debate season, by far the high point was when the senator from my home state of Vermont stood up and someone asked him at one of the debates, what's the most important challenge facing the world? And he said, climate change. And Two weeks later, at the next debate, after all the editorialists tut tutted about how he should have said it was terrorism or something, they asked him again, and he said it again. Okay, that's a good sign—a good sign that he's the most popular politician in America. But it hasn't yet fully filtered down into the, you know, into the Clinton campaign, and certainly not the Trump campaign. The Democratic platform is very, very good on these issues. One hopes that if Miss Clinton is elected, we'll be able to press her to try and live up to that platform.
5: You weren't feeling as encouraged when you served on the Democratic Platform Committee, and you described this uh, in your piece. Explain what happened, so was, what you were calling for,
8: and what ultimately— I was depressed halfway through because on the Platform Committee, which Bernie had asked me to serve on, we took a series of votes, and they, we lost, seven to six, you know, on sort of party-line votes, on all sorts of things. But then Bernie refused to concede. He didn't back down. He didn't do what everyone told him he should do. He kept in the race through the final meeting about the platform in Orlando two weeks before the convention. And he did that in order to ensure that he'd have leverage in those discussions. That's what he... I mean, it's not like... 8 years ago when what Hillary Clinton wanted was for Barack Obama to pay off her campaign debt what he wanted was progress on the issues and As a result, by staring them down, uh, the platform at the last minute turned markedly more progressive. Among other things, there's a call in there for an emergency climate summit within the first hundred days of a new administration designed to, and it says this in the platform, mobilize us for uh, uh, something like a World War II approach to climate change. We'll see if we can hold them to it. Clearly, it will take hundreds of thousands of people in the street, just like there were in New York two years ago this month.
1: getting your mailing and shipping done can seem like a no-win situation. Going to the post office takes a valuable time, and you could lease a postage meter, but they're expensive and it feels like something that belongs in a Mad Men episode. Luckily, there is a better way, stamps.com. With stamps.com, you can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your desk using your own computer and printer. I first used stamps.com myself at the ripe old age of 15 when I was striving to avoid going to work at the pizza restaurant where all my friends were by running a modestly successful eBay store out of my parents' home office. After a while, I realized that all of those trips to the post office were really eating into my slacking off time, so I jumped at the opportunity to sign up at Stamps.com and use their digital scale and software to print all of my postage from my desk. They've been around since 1999, and even though I eventually threw in the towel and joined all my friends eating as much pizza as I could handle, Stamps.com is still going strong. So if you are still making frequent trips to the post office, then I highly recommend Stamps.com, and I have a special offer to get you started. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use my promo code BEST for a special offer, four-week trial, plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the word BEST. That's Stamps.com. Enter BEST.
9: There was a Value Voters Summit in Washington, D.C. over this past weekend. And when you think of value voters, you think of homophobia, you think of conspiracy theories, you think of misogyny. And you also think of a man who crushes on his own daughter. That's right. Donald Trump, our possible next president, making the case, again, himself, more effectively and better than any of his opposition as to why he really, really needs to lose.
6: Earlier this year, we lost the great justice, Antonin Scalia. The next president, will not only have to fill this seat, but as many as four others. It could even be, I mean, we could end up with a total of five judges by one president, would be record-setting, probably be three, could be four, could even be five. And you pick the wrong people,
5: you have a
6: country that is no longer your country, it will be a disaster. Mm. One of the most important issues, frankly, other than maybe defense, because we're going to build up our military, it's so depleted. (laughs) We're going to take care of our vets. We're going to protect your Second Amendment. So many things. (laughs) But one of the most important, some people think it's actually the most important, is the filling of the seats, United States Supreme Court. You see what's happening right now. Essentially, it's four and four. And you see what, how bad it is. We're going (laughs) to pick great, Judges, I've already put a list of 11 federalist society, highly recommended, got uniform great reviews on these 11 people, and we are going to put truly great people. Maybe we use uh, Judge Scalia as the ultimate example of what we're looking for,
9: okay? Okay. Okay, babe. Did you guys get the impression of what kind of judge he'll put on the Supreme Court? Like any adjectives? Maybe uh, great judges.
10: No difference between Trump and Hillary Clinton.
9: No difference whatsoever. We have a Supreme Court now, but because it is essentially tied to four plus four, has uh, protected a number of incredibly important things. Health, labor. And now Donald Trump is just reminding you that the only ways in which he is an unconventional politician is because his levels of mental, like, Illness are so much higher than your average politician, which is extraordinary to begin with. And then in all the other ways, what is he? But he's a Republican. He's a conventional Republican who wants to appoint robber baron fanatics to the Supreme Court so that we can have a country that looks like Brazil in the 1940s, except some people have iPhones. And by Brazil in the 1940s, I mean, basically controlled by feudal landlords and with very, very, very conservative social policies. I don't know. I mean, if people are still making the, like, he could be unpredictable point, you need to give yourself the Perry Mason music and go take a long tech vow.
2: Okay, let's uh, refresh our discussion a little bit about climate change being a hoax created by the Chinese, a comment that Donald Trump really made front and center at the first presidential debate on Monday. The backstory is multiple times uh, Donald Trump has tweeted this idea that climate change is a hoax developed by and for the benefit of the Chinese. Hillary Clinton called him out on that during Monday's debate. Donald Trump lied saying, no, I never said that. Of course, the fact checkers very, very easily found uh, the tweets where Donald Trump did indeed say that. That's all fun and games compared to what I'm about to show you here. Donald Trump's campaign co-manager Kellyanne Conway went on CNN and she admitted something that should be singularly disqualifying for someone who wants to be effectively the most powerful person on the planet in the election that is upcoming here. She said, and it's hard for me to even believe it, that Donald Trump does not believe humans are having any impact on the climate change that we are seeing on our planet. This is not something that is in the scientific consensus. This is something that is supported only by a very, very tiny fraction, somewhere between 0. 0.3 and two percent of climate scientists believe this. I'm going to play the video for you and you can see that Kellyanne Conway. She sort of seems to take a, a, an attitude where she realizes that this is not a good line of questioning. She's not handling this particularly well, but I think it's because she accidentally told the truth. Take a listen to this.
5: Take clean energy. Some country is going to be the clean energy superpower of the twenty-first century. Donald thinks that climate change is a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese. I think it's real. Uh, I, did I, think not, I did not. Science
6: is. Real. I do not say that. And I think it's I do important not say that. that-
11: So does he think that climate change is a hoax or not a hoax, or it's real? So I think that's based on a tweet. It is. uh, Right. I I just love that, that this, this whole man, whether he's giving a, yeah, I guess so, answer to Howard Stern about invading Iraq as a private citizen on an entertaining radio show, or through a tweet, we're supposed to understand all of his policies. This woman he, proudly went and cast a vote for the Iraq war in the well of the Senate, and she's been an interventionist hawk entire change, career. On He's the one who sends out the tweets. I mean, he sends out what his thinking is on these policies. The He's the using that. The concept of global warming was created and uh, by and for the Chinese in order to make <laughs> the US manufacturing non-competitive. I mean, these are his thoughts. Snowing in Texas and Louisiana, record-setting freezing temperatures throughout the country and beyond, global warming is an expensive hoax. Does he believe that global warming is a hoax? He believes that global warming is naturally occurring, is, is what is he what? said. What, naturally? Naturally, that, that climate change is naturally occurring. He believes that there in climate change. And that there are shifts naturally occurring. Oh, he doesn't believe it's man-made. Correct. So he mm. believes that the idea that it's man-made is a hoax. I, no, I didn't say that. I mean, he said it. I'm actually repeating his tweet. So he believes that that part is a hoax he believes that climate change is naturally occurring.
2: Yeah, but, but, but David, both parties are exactly the same. Hillary and Trump are exactly the same. Right. Yesterday, Myron Ebel, climate science denier, was go, was, was, it was revealed he would be heading Trump's EPA transition team. And now we learn, and I have no reason not to believe it. It correlates with everything else that Donald Trump has said on the issue that we have no reason to think anything that we're observing on earth now is at all impacted by human activities. This entire climate change is not man-made thing is not one of these small mistakes wrong type of things its I believe the earth is flat wrong that's how I see it Rachel he has said that on day one of his presidency he would withdraw the US from the Paris climate accords could he do it unilaterally I don't know do you want someone being president who would even try the answer is no he said on day one he would lift President Obama's executive order halting construction of the Keystone pipeline could he do it Probably also very disturbing. There are real consequences here
12: Yeah, but he's at odds with his own running mate because mike pence went on cnn and said that humans Absolutely have had an impact on the climate. Yeah. so it's kind of interesting that your own running mate is disagreeing with you Yeah, but and on numerous, issues, on numerous issues.
2: on numerous issues. I remember when he was asked about uh, There was this really awkward moment on 60 Minutes and I I I apologize. I don't think I'm going to remember what it was. I think it was. No, it was the Iraq War Mm. when Donald Trump was asked, I believe, by Leslie Stahl. You know, you slam Hillary for her vote regarding the funding of the Iraq War. The guy sitting next to you, your running mate, had the same vote. What do you say about that? He says, well, everybody's allowed to make mistakes, apparently not Hillary Clinton. So yeah, Pence and Trump at odds on on a growing number of issues. I'm sadly afraid. That because the anti climate change science movement has been relatively successful at promoting the false idea that there's actually controversy over this issue, that this is not going to be perceived as that serious of an issue by too many voters. And that's really the sad thing here.
13: You were right. Now we've got good reason to worry.
8: Your money made your eyes out blurry. Making lists of pacifists recalcitrant poses. Can't you see how dangerous the one you chose is?
13: Can't you see how dangerous you're too
2: content to make a fuss? Can't you see
13: how dangerous
8: you are?
5: I wanted to follow up with a new guest, May Boovey, who is executive director of 350 Action. Um, he referenced climate change, which is more than happens in these debates, um, uh, the next one which we're about to see. Um, right now, Chris Wallace, this debate is going to happen in just about 35 minutes, and we'll be going to it live at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Chris Wallace laid out the six areas that they're going to be talking about, among them uh, fitness to be president, immigration, um, entitlements and the budget. Um, as well, he's going to be talking about foreign hotspots. Um, but in these six, we did not see climate change. What about this issue, May.
12: Well, of course we've heard
5: precious little on the issue of climate
12: change in this election and in even some of those six areas climate change could come up it is relevant to the issue of global hotspots. it is relevant to the issue of the budget but fox news does not have a great track record of asking questions about climate change when it comes to actually believing it is an important issue
5: but we should say that there have been three other debates one vice presidential Two presidential. And in none of these debates, where it wasn't Fox that was moderating, did they raise this question of climate change. Yes, Hillary Clinton raised it once um, in a sort of side comment. And at the town hall that Martha Raddatz of ABC and Anderson Cooper of CNN moderated, one of the people in the audience um, asked a question about fossil fuel workers which we were
12: glad to see, at least it came up in that respect, but it's not a good indication of how concerned voters are about this issue. Because when questions were submitted before the debate, the fourth most highly ranked question was about climate change. And we've been talking this evening about the role of young voters. For that group in particular, Climate change is a vitally important issue. Imagine for a second if this were your first election that you were voting in. We're all talking about it's how it's a historically disappointing election. Imagine if you're a young person, this is your first chance to vote for a president. And for many of the young people we work with in the climate movement, just let that sink in for a second. But the good news is, when we're talking to young activists around the country, they're actually excited about taking part in this because they see that the long game is about building a stronger movement. They know they have to get engaged in politics. We know our movements have to build power, but the work that they're excited about really resumes on November 9th. That's why we're seeing actions like the hashtag GOP hands off me action that young feminists have been engaged in. So we're seeing a lot of excitement among young voters. And for us, we're particularly tapped into what young climate voters are interested in.
5: Now, clearly, Hillary Clinton needs Bernie Sanders right now in a major way. So you have Bernie Sanders crisscrossing the country. championing Hillary Clinton, um, the woman that uh, he ran against, and that is how the, you know, election system works after the primary. Uh, But I think it clearly shows that um, Hillary Clinton sees that the millennial vote is not with her, and she needs to really galvanize people. What do you see, um, as a young person who's involved in the climate action movement, What gives you any faith right now—Hillary Clinton, known as a champion of fracking, and a lot has come out in the WikiLeaks um, documents—over these years? We know, without a doubt,
12: she's not where she needs to be on this issue. And if anyone had any doubt— the line about climate activists getting a life was further evidence. So explain. in the leaked emails, there was a reference to some of the young people who are coming to rallies and asking questions about keeping fossil fuels in the ground. And the response was essentially get a life. This came out earlier this week. But leaving that aside for a moment. In campaigning, in organizing, you need Have to know. Have you been where... looking for a life, Meg? <laughs> yes, I've been looking. And now I'm extra, extra happy with the one I found. But in, in politics and in organizing, you need to know where you stand. So we know exactly where we stand. We know exactly where we're going to need to push. Fracking is going to be the critical litmus test for us, looking to see how we change the positions. But there were some bright spots in campaigning in the primary. We got some good commitments. We got Good commitments around stopping the Keystone Pipeline. That had never happened before, and it was organizing on the campaign trail that got that commitment. So we don't say that to be rosy-eyed optimists, but we know what we need to do to push, and we think we can do
5: on it. On the Dakota Access Pipeline, which is just six miles short um, of the Keystone XL. Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump have not taken a stand on this, despite the fact that thousands of people have been there, um, particularly Native Americans, taking on this $3.8 billion oil pipeline that begins in the Bakken oil fields of North Dakota with fracked oil and takes that oil—the Native Americans call it the black snake—through that pipeline from North to South Dakota to uh, Iowa to uh, Illinois. We've got to get clarity
12: about what she plans to do. This is going to be something she's already getting asked about it everywhere she goes, but the pressure is not going to let up on that a single bit. It's only going to intensify.
1: One easy way to make a difference and vote with your dollars is to sign up to replace fossil fuels with green energy for your home or office. I've partnered with Ethical Electric, a clean energy company that makes it fast and easy to switch to wind power for your energy needs. Nothing about how you receive your energy will change. You continue to receive your bill from your regional utility, but you'll be buying 100% Pennsylvania wind energy with your monthly dues and supporting Best of the Left at the same time. Just go to ethicalelectric.com/best to sign up. They service states from Illinois over to Connecticut and down to Washington, D.C., and they're always working on expanding into new territory. So if you're anywhere in that area, check them out to see if you're covered. If you're in another area of the U.S., I recommend simply Googling the phrase buying green power to find the green power network from the U.S. Department of Energy, where you'll be able to find the green energy suppliers in your area. Again, that's ethicalelectric.com slash best. That link is also in the sidebar of my website or simply google buying green power and if you're outside the US then you're on your own. Don't
2: ask for help. You're all
14: alone. You have to answer to your own. Pressure.
10: The Republicans uh, are going to do something even more unprecedented uh, in their obstruction than I've ever even seen. Like just when you thought they can't get any crazier And They've been blocking Merrick Garland for, it'll be about a year uh, by the time it's all over. Uh, He's, of course, a Supreme Court nominee for Barack Obama. Now, I wouldn't have picked Merrick Garland. I think he's among the more conservative progressives. I don't know if you could say that. Democrats? He's among the more conservative picks that uh, uh, President Obama could have done. And, of course, President Obama thought that was a genius move because he's like, you see that? They won't be able to say no to this guy. Yeah, of course or to be fair to President Obama when they say no to this guy they will seem unreasonable so what they're always unreasonable like they, so that. So and by the way are you guys running on that and I know you think that some of you are running on that no you thought you'd crush him on that uh, the Republicans oh yeah they won't give us a Supreme Court nominee how much effect has that had? so picking a guy who's more right-wing I don't think was helpful but it doesn't matter the point is even though I might not love Merrick Garland as a pick THE PRESIDENT GETS TO PICK THE NOMINEE. NOW THE SENATE GETS TO CONFIRM, SO DO YOUR JOB. Now WE ALREADY ALL KNOW THIS, RIGHT? WE KNOW THEY ARE BLOCKING America GARLAND, SO WHY AM I TELLING YOU THIS STORY? THEY HAVE A NEW PLAN, THAT IF HILLARY CLINTON WINS, TO NEVER CONSENT TO ANY OF HER NOMINEES, TO BLOCK THEM FOREVER. OH, COME ON on oh, that's unbelievable even for Republicans that's unbelievable here listen to John McCain
3: how would you guys how, how would you be able to stop that when you weren't able to stop Sotomayor for example
10: Well, I think in the case of
14: Sotomayor they were able to convince uh, some uh, Republicans I promise you that we will we will be united against any uh Supreme Court nominee that um that Hillary Clinton if she were president would okay. put up and uh, I, I promise you this
8: is this is this is why we need the majority
10: so they're gonna oppose every nominee no matter what they don't know who the nominee is don't care we're gonna oppose her and uh, we're gonna oppose that person forever uh Senator Ted Cruz is like oh yes, historic obstruction I'm in so As Huffington Post explains, Senator Ted Cruz and John McCain both suggested recently that Senate Republicans would continue to leave open the vacant Supreme Court seat if Clinton is elected president. And Cruz says, there's certainly long historical precedent for a Supreme Court with fewer justices. Are you kidding me? Do your jobs do your jobs, they never, this is the amazing thing about Republicans, they're like, oh, we want hard workers, we don't want people with a sense of entitlement, yet they never want to do their jobs, the person, the clerk in Kentucky, "Uh, I know my job is to marry people no matter what their sexual orientation is, uh, but I don't like the Constitution and I don't like the rulings and I don't like the law, so I'm not going to do my job. Uh, sheriff joe arpaio well i don't like latinos so if someone is getting robbed or mugged or raped I- in some areas of town that are heavily latino i'm not going to do my job i'm not going to go there you Got a court contempt order uh, for sheriff joe he's like oh i know the court uh, says i'm in contempt i'm not going to follow the court because i'm not going to do my job now all the republicans saying we're not, not to be fair not all these two guys but it will grow and by the way now you got the cato institute also saying whoa well, well, what? this is perfectly normal you just never do your job you just never fill the Supreme Court justices as if this is a thing this is not a thing this is not something that happens it's totally unprecedented and then they go uh, and then the media the corporate media is like oh obstructionism I don't know who's responsible both sides do it both sides do it what are you talking about no they don't do this equally are you nuts so listen to the, uh, Ilya Shapiro from Cato Institute, he says, As a matter of constitutional law, the senator is fully within his powers to let the Supreme Court die out, literally. Think about how insanely extreme that is. He's basically saying, oh, I don't care how many of them die, I, let's not fill any of the seats. And then we won't have a Supreme Court, and then we'll have chaos. Yay! People like Sotomayor, let alone even some of the conservative justices on the Supreme Court are saying, What do you, no, you fill the seats, that's what you do. Sotomayor is saying, Like, if you do this, we, can't, we keep getting deadlocked at 4 4, then you have total uncertainty in the law. And California has a different ruling, and Mississippi has a different ruling. So, how are people supposed to act? We keep getting deadlocked at 4 4. And conservative think tanks and conservative senators are like, Who cares? We don't like the government anyway. Let's just go into anarchy. This are ironic because they, you know, would make fun of anarchists. But they would make fun of communists who say that the uh, government should melt away. Well, that's what they want. They oh, say, no, let's not do our jobs. Who cares? Here's more from the Cato Institute. So when you get past the gotcha headlines, breathless reportage, and Inauguration Day, uh, if Hillary Clinton is president, it would be completely decent, honorable, and in keeping with the Senate's constitutional duty to vote against essentially every judicial judicial nominee she names every single one sight unseen that's who they are they hate the government why would we put them in charge of it it doesn't make any sense and so I don't want one more word out of the corporate media about both sides do it I don't know both sides do it no they don't do it in the same way that's a false equivalency and if you can't see that you're trying not to see it because you are enormously biased you have an establishment bias that says Republicans say this Democrats say this I don't want to report the news I don't want to report the facts this is insane by the way one last thing now to the Democrats what happened I thought if Hillary Clinton wins they're going to want to work with her you said they wouldn't work with Bernie Sanders, but they would work with Hillary Clinton. Does it look like they want to work with Hillary Clinton? Oh, as
0: institutions fail with the
7: so bobby uh... one of the things that has not been uh, spoken of much during the course of this campaign and there's a lot of reasons for this obviously um, is uh, the issues of the environment and uh... uh... global warming. Um we have had the i think it's the sixteenth most record-breaking uh... hottest month was august uh... we've seen each month over the past sixteen Top the month before in terms of uh, year over year historically as to uh, its hottest month. Uh, just this week, Donald Trump tapped a high profile climate change uh, denier to lead his administration team efforts for the Environmental Protection Agency. Um, these are underreported stories because, you know, uh, to a certain extent, I think because. Um, the Clinton campaign for a long time and the media, uh, largely speaking, and, and not without reason, has uh, portrayed Donald Trump as uh, a sui generis and, um, as, uh, you know, a, a fascistic threat, which may be true. But on top of that, he's also a climate change denier who uh, who's muy, very much like the rest of the Republican Party.
0: Yeah, that's true. And just as a footnote, uh, Gary Johnson, who of course is the libertarian presidential nominee, said on Sunday that, uh, to George Stephanopoulos that, that we might have to move to other, to colonize other worlds in order to survive. In fact, he didn't say we might have to. He said, let's face it, we're going to have to. That was his answer to global warming. Trump's answer, as you point out, is to say that it's a hoax, that it, uh, that it doesn't exist, that he is going to dismantle the, uh, the legislation and the regulations that limit carbon, that he is going to walk away from the Paris Accords. Uh, he has, uh, he has campaigned in front of oil industry convocations and promised them the world. Um, and it's, uh, and meanwhile, as you said, we have the we've had the hottest summer on record. We have this year has been the hottest year, according to recent reports, and in and in according to Michael Mann, a hundred thousand years. So we're seeing these historic uh, heights in climate. We're seeing the the American for Prosperity just released a report showing that we're losing tens of billions of dollars a year because of extreme weather caused by climate change and yet you know we have a a presidential candidate who is the only other sam the only other country in the world that is as radical as trump about climate change is is russia is putin who you know putin believes that Climate change will actually help the Russians. They're one of the biggest oil producers in the world. And they got a lot of land that he believes is under ice and and will be freed up. And uh, and they'll have shorter winters there. uh, Trump and Putin are aligned on this issue, but it's not a good thing for the United States.
7: I mean, that's I mean, it's fascinating because from uh, from Putin's perspective perspective, um uh global climate change will uh, wreak havoc on uh the the rest of the world as opposed to um uh uh russian controlled territories i guess um and this is uh you know, uh, uh, who's to know if they, they share, uh, a, you know, a, a deeper, um, uh, you know, uh, whether that's a coincidence or not that uh, Trump thinks it's a hoax. I suspect it's more just because this is what happens to appeal with uh, to the Republican Party. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people uh, that I hear about, uh, you know, on the left who uh, complain about uh, or, or who refuse to uh... entertain the idea of, of voting for for hillary clinton talk about her her promotion of of fracking and uh... the fact is that her proposals um uh... that she's offered whether or not she can institute those but whether or not uh... but you know if she has the ability to seat a fifth justice on the supreme court we're gonna see the e-p-a begin to be able to uh... regulate fracking in the way that uh... president obama has proposed but lost well, it's in that- not just,
0: you know, it's, Sam, it's, uh, the Supreme Court is important for the fracking regulations. It's absolutely critical, important for the regulation of carbon and for the adoption of the Paris Accords, because, you know, as you know, there's 20 states that have sued the federal government to block the uh, compliance with Obama's compliance with a p- compliance plan with the with the Paris Accords the Supreme Court has blocked any efforts to enforce compliance uh, until the case is decided. And it's not gonna be decided as long as there's an even split among the justices. Right. So we have to wait until a new justice is appointed and that new justice is either gonna be appointed by Donald Trump, who, um, you know, Michael Mann did a great article this week about, um. The the ten worst climate deniers in in the world, most damaging, most destructive, and Donald Trump is number one. So to elect him president, allow him to appoint a Supreme Court justice who is going to decide these pending cases that are you know that are held up behind the logjam. Plus, Trump isn't just going to destroy the climate. But he's also promised last week when he spoke to the oil industry, the shale gas industry, he promised that he would get rid of the Clean Water Act. So he's just going to open the floodgates to – Every kind of pollution and have, you know, his Trump's prosperity is going to, is going to be pollution based prosperity, which is just deficit spending. It's a way of loading the cost of our generation's prosperity onto the backs of our children. It's, you know, it's a way of, of enriching a few billionaires by impoverishing other Americans and, and, and destroying the economic prospects and the quality of life of future generations.
1: We just heard clips today from the David Pacman show discussing Trump's climate denier choice to lead his EPA transition team. Tom Hartman talked in broad strokes about what all is at stake in the next Supreme Court picks. Democracy Now! spoke with Bill McKibben about Trump's plans for environmental policy compared to the war footing efforts we actually need to put in place. The Majority Report discussed Trump's plan to fill the Supreme Court with Scalia clones. David Pakman further discussed Trump's climate denialism. Democracy Now! spoke with Mae Boovy about the future of young climate voters and the need to continue to push Hillary Clinton. The Young Turks discussed the Republicans' plan to block Democratic Supreme Court nominees forever. And finally, we just heard Sam Cedar speaking with Bobby Kennedy about the need to focus on climate change and the Supreme Court in this election. You can find links to each of these segments in the show notes for easy reference and sharing. And now, we'll hear from you.
15: Hi, Jay. This is Brad Culling from Irving, Texas. Uh, I just finished listening to your episode about uh, the Trump supporters, and I wanted to throw in my two cents. So, you know, to me it seems like the conservative media is basically like a, an abusive partner. You know, the, if you listen to enough episodes of Dan Savage, you're going to hear that the abusive partner immediately left to isolate you uh, and make you believe that they're the only ones that are telling you the truth. They're the only ones who care about you, okay? Well, that's line for line what Rush Limbaugh says, you know, the, the liberal media is out to deceive you, only I'm telling you the truth. So, you know, there's that. And I mean, we all know where Rush is coming from. He's basically the propaganda piece for, I guess, what I would refer to as the uh, Chamber of Commerce people in the united states you know and so you know he can say what he wants he doesn't have to play fair you know him and beck and alex jones can say whatever the hell they want and they're never challenged on it uh and even when they are it's just the well you know what what difference does it matter the, the, those followers have already closed their ears to listen to any rational argument And then problem number two is, you know, you've got people who, um, and and I'm going to give you an anecdote from my own life. I have workers in my office who will tell you that Satan is trying to influence this election. So we're talking about adults who credulously believe that the devil is trying to influence our election. Okay. What do you do with that? When when that lady, when the lady who was giving the interview was talking about the folks that she'd interviewed and was saying that oftentimes people in the Deep South are criticized as being rednecks, what can you do with, with that information? When somebody tells you that they believe the devil is trying to influence your election, you have to tell them, look, you're out of your mind. You have to look at the facts. But you have refused to do so and you've isolated yourself to only these sources. So I don't know. Uh, All I can say is I'm every single day. I get the feeling that we're slipping into some kind of an Orwellian nightmare. And uh, I just, all I can say is I hope for the best and things get better.
6: Thanks.
13: Hi, Jay. This is Sally from San Francisco. I was just listening to your uh, episode about Trump supporters and trying to understand how these folks could be following him and and taking what he says as, as truth and trying to really understand where it comes from. And I think that's very important to do. I also think it's important to point out that over the past, 30 years, I guess, but certainly 20 years. Many of the people in the areas who are supportive of Trump have seen huge decreases in access to education, both through just budgets being cut for public schools and also through access to higher education through support for state colleges and lower tuitions, as well as access to grants, et cetera. And I think that one of the things that feeds this is the sense that some of the the access to higher education has come through grants to people trying to um, make higher education more integrated. So the sense that folks don't have access to higher education, but people of color do. So it's. It, I think it's a real problem, and we have to think about education as the key to helping people understand and be able to think, to think more critically about what information they hear. If we don't support education, then we can't really be surprised when a whole group of undereducated people are swayed by sound bites and, and not very well thought out claims of truth and you know we're gonna make America rich again we're gonna make America great again with no real no real details and part of you know asking for details that's like that's like middle school (laughs) education high school education you ask for details you ask for specific examples I really don't think that we're we are working hard to support folks where they really need it white folks black folks, etc., in poor areas, and we can't be surprised if this is what we get as a result. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work.
14: Hi, my name is Mike. I'm a uh, fairly staunch conservative from Richmond, Virginia, who also has a great desire to engage with thoughtful liberals and, uh, you know, I've been doing that on Facebook for a long time now, and uh, I, am, uh, I, I went looking on my, uh, on my smartphone for some kind of liberal talk radio because I felt like, surely there must be somebody out there who uh, is uh, doing liberal talk radio in a way that I could stand to listen to. I, I've been hunting around in vain for some liberal talk radio. I mean, I do listen to Limbar and Beck and Hannity, and most of the time I do think that they are not what you guys think they are. The comment I wanted to make as fast as I can here is that I discovered your podcast, listened to it for the first time today, which is November the second. The thing about it that struck me, besides the reasonableness of the presentation, Uh, I was kind of disappointed in the way you treated Limbaugh. And uh, the reason I I was disappointed was that you basically did the same thing that the rest of liberal media does, which was take him out of context. And it's tough to put Limbaugh in context because he kind of assumes that you've been listening to him three hours a day for years. Uh, And as a long-haul truck driver myself, I have been listening to him an awful lot since 1992 when I discovered him talking about uh, baseline services budgeting and started to get an idea about why the national debt is what it is. At any rate, uh, the context uh, of the remarks that were commented on today was really uh, absent and I was very disappointed in that. I, if you, I think it's a mistake to take Limbaugh as the punching bag all the time, uh, because really Limbaugh is a lot deeper and more thoughtful and more understanding than uh, liberal commentators let on. And I'm not saying this because I particularly want to defend anybody in particular, but I am a Limbaugh fan. I'm a Limbaugh fan basically because he got me engaged. He showed me a lot of things about how the federal government actually works, how the Democratic Party works, and uh, sadly, in the last six years since 2006, or well, I guess longer than six years, uh, what would that be now, 10 years? He really has stopped carrying the water for the Republicans. Uh, it may seem amazing for you to hear me say that, but... He has stopped carrying the water and he's uh, got to the point now where he understands that the Republican establishment and the Democrat establishment and the big money are all part of the same organism. Anyway, though, I wanted to uh, congratulate you guys on, on a very thoughtful show. I will be tuning in more. I have a lot to say about a lot of things. My name is Mike Visaggio. You can find me on Facebook. And if you go to my notes, you'll find some things that I have written about from years gone by, although I haven't been doing very many notes lately. Thanks again. It was a good show. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of liberal friends on Facebook. And the only ones that really frustrate me are the ones that rely on memes to put down people they disagree with. I always ask people, you know, it's okay fine with me if you're a liberal. Just make a case. Don't don't take the lazy man's way out and go copy some meme that just insults half of your friends. So that's it. Thank you guys. Uh, hope to hear from you again tomorrow. Bye now.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible. Thanks to Amanda Hoffman for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, simply record a message at 202-999-3991. Now, I'm thrilled to hear... That we have a new conservative listener, uh, Mike, who just called in uh, by some miracle happened to find the show one day after I posted a, a big show trying to uh, understand conservatives and calling for them to uh, call in and explain themselves. So, uh, so welcome, Mike, to the show. Since you're new, I'll, I'll sort of tell you how things go. The main topic of each episode can change drastically, but these uh, voicemail sections at the end often uh, end up turning into, uh, you know, long, multi-episode conversations. So I wouldn't be surprised if we heard some responses to your message. And, and I, w- I have some follow-up questions for you that I hope you can uh, chime in on. So uh, you mentioned uh, there's a lot you said about Limbaugh that I'm just going to skip past uh, for the time being, but You said that he hasn't been carrying the the GOP water for the last 10 years, and uh, I would imagine not many people remember this, but I remember when that happened. Uh, I launched this show back in 2006. I had been paying attention to politics for a couple years before that, but it was in the the 2006 election. You know, It wasn't a presidential year, and uh, the Democrats just trounced the Republicans in the House and the Senate that year. And after that, it was right after that election, Limbaugh came out. He was so angry about the results that he said, that's it. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not carrying water for the GOP anymore. And I know this because it was talked about in progressive media circles, and it was talked about in progressive media circles because him coming out and saying that showed that he had been a basically a propagandist for the GOP. Right up until that point. So, uh, just funny, you know, bit of history that, that Mike reminded me of. But getting past that, Mike's description of Limbaugh as being, you know, very thoughtful and, and, you know, not carrying the water for the GOP and claiming that the Democrats, the Republicans and big money are all part of the same system basically makes him sound like he could have been in the running to uh, you know, run as Jill Stein's VP candidate uh, for the Green Party. So Mike, if you could fill us in a little bit on that, I would love to hear more. like what is Limbaugh's take? You know, you say it's hard to put him in context. Do your best. Try to put him in context. What is his broad overarching philosophy, as you just described, where both parties and big money are all part of the same system? that's screwing over everyone else. That sounds like exactly what we talk about on this show. One of the absolute biggest issues that we deal with, one of the strongest points we make on a regular basis, is that big money in politics is at the core of the corruption of our politics. So it sounds like there may be a lot of agreement there, um, but I've never heard it talked about that Limbaugh is anywhere near that side of the discussion. So, what is his argument about what the problem is, and then also what solutions is he in favor of? Listeners of this show are going to be very familiar with a variety of uh, solutions that we're in favor of, including uh, constitutional amendments and some legislative maneuvers to uh, sort of negate the power of uh, money in politics. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of layers there, but for the time being, as long as we have a, a Limbaugh listener with us. If you want to chime in uh, more and, and fill us in, it would be greatly appreciated. The number again, 202-999-3991. That is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Help us in our mission to aggregate and amplify the best progressive media by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and sharing all of the great content we're putting out there. And for details on the show itself, including links to all all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a and
0: shame How we get so trained
13: Stop.